think about the two primary goals of what we want to accomplish today. Um, first, we want to solidify the content of the gospel. So we want to make sure that's in our minds um, and that we, that we understand it. And then secondly, to equip us to share that with others. So the two primary goals are to learn and then to be able to share what we've learned. In order to accomplish these goals, um, you know, we're going to be working through these different sections each week, um, looking at these different aspects of the gospel. And, and the, that um, track that you have is a guide to help you um, see the content, remember the content easily, and then be able to share it um, with just, you know, a few minutes. So, you know, what, when it, there's only one gospel message, um, but there's, you know, several different ways to go about sharing that gospel message. Uh, with some people, um, you may share the gospel with them in just a few minutes. Um, with, with others, what that looks like is you might sit down and live life with them over the course of some number of months, some number of years. Um, the situation may not always look the same, but the, the, the goal in, in sharing the gospel in its entirety is the same, so that others can know the Lord um, and, and see and savor Jesus um, with you and be saved. So let's look at a review. So can anybody remember um, how we defined evangelism last week? Anybody remember? Anybody remember how we defined evangelism last week? Ryan, can you help us out? So sharing a specific message, if you're going to write this down, we're going to say sharing a specific message to a specific people in the power of the Holy Spirit with a specific, a specific aim, a specific purpose, a specific goal in mind. Very good. You must have taught that last week, Ryan. Thank you. So evangelism is sharing a message with a specific people, um, with a specific purpose, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's a, that's a key thing there, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We kind of also talked about what evangelism is not. Um, evangelism is not just sharing your testimony um, or debating a particular um, aspect of the Bible, like uh, the incarnation of Christ or in, in the the gospel message is not just being kind to people. Um, so we kind of talked about what evangelism really looks like. And so is our job in evangelism to convert somebody? Think about that for a second. Is it our job to convert someone? No, it's not. Obviously, it's not. We don't have the power to convert anybody. We have the power to share the gospel message. God enables us to do that through his spirit. Okay. It's not our job to be able to convert anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's um, job. So now before we start with today's Humanity and Rebellion, um, we'll call it cell two of our tract. If you're looking, if you go, go to page number one, let's kind of remember what we, we said in number one. This kind of this repetition we're going to do every week to kind of solidify these in our minds. So what was the first theme of the gospel that we talked about 
last week in the, in the, first, the first block. Anybody? If you're looking at your tract, it's on the green page here. What's the theme there? Anybody? The theme? Anybody want to speak out? I feel like I'm in like a fifth gate, uh, uh, a 15-year-old group of chemistry students here. Anybody know the answer here? Last week we talked about there's the world and it was created by God and God is the ruler of the world. Right, I'm going to try to make this a crown. Call that a crown. All right. God rules over his creation. Um, He creates all that exists. All things were made by him and for him, including us humans in his image. That means that he has creative rights. He's the creator. He's he's got these rights over all of creation. Um, There's a verse that says, "The, the Lord is in the heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Okay. So, before we kind of move into humanity and rebellion, um, is there any, can anybody tell me why we emphasize this as step one? What, why does this have to be step one? If we're, if we're talking about evangelism, if we're talking about sharing the gospel, why does that have to be our starting place? All right, Phil, thank you. Yeah, so it has to start with God. If, if we're talking about God, it has to start there. Very good. All right, so, so now we're going to move into our second section, um, Humanity in Rebellion. So uh, Christianity is not unsimilar from other religions in the world in that we see an issue with the world at large. If you look out in the world, you can tell there's a problem. Anybody disagree with that? Everybody think that's a, an accurate statement? You look out in the world, you see things going awry, right? So there's a, there's a grave problem with the world that we, we live in. It's clear to just about everybody that something's gone terribly wrong, whether you're an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim. Everyone agrees that the world's not exactly as it should be. So, so why is that? Why do we see things like uh, addictions? Why do we see things like murder? Why do we see things like theft? Why do we see... Poverty. Why do we see racism? Why do we, why do we see these things? According to God's word, um, Christians believe that God created the world uh, initially very good. But then when we look at the world around us, there's something that's going on that's pervading the world. It's like a virus. It's like a cancer that's been unleashed. Um, we're talking about like digitally, we're talking like a, a computer virus that's just inf- infecting and and going into all the programs and crashing them down one by one. Corruption, injustice, hatred, greed, death. They're everywhere. So, so we ask the question, what happened? Where did it go wrong? Was our government not set up right? Um, did we not uh, teach good values to our kids? Um, do we need better public and private education? Um, did we not you know, give peace um, a chance in, our, in the way that we're living amongst our neighbors? So maybe some of those are true. Uh, maybe some of those do need reform. But they're not the fundamental problem. They're not the complete, entire 
um, deep-rooted problems. So Christians believe that what's gone wrong um, starts in each and every one of us inside, and, and that it's in our hearts, and it's not anywhere else. It's not anywhere outside. It's, it's here. So according to the Bible, um, the, the essence, if, we, if we'll call it that, um, the essence of our problem is that man's rejected God. He says, you're not ruler over creation. And so he set himself, you know, man was here in creation on the world, but man has now set himself outside of that picture. He says, I'm not going to be under your rule and authority. And he says, I want to make the decisions. So I'm going to put a crown on the man. So the, the crown's no longer resting with God. God's not the ruler anymore according to sin. So if you look at the purple page in your track, this is the image. We've got man outside of, moved, he's moved himself outside of God's rule and put a crown on himself to say, I'm the ruler. Because we want to rule our own lives. We want to run them ourselves. We want to do them our own way. We don't want to follow his way. And this rebellion has affected the world and everything in it. And that's, that's what we see um, when we look out, look out into the world. So this, this is what the Bible calls sin. It's the exchanging of God's glory for something else. So we'll look at Romans 3, 10, and 12. It's on your printed handout if you want to look there. Um, I also believe it's in your tract at the bottom of the page, the purple page. It says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. It's not just some, it's all. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And when they turn away, it, it looks like this. So I want you to write this verse down. I want, I want us to look at it. It's Jeremiah 2, 10 through 13. I'm going to give you just a second to get there and write that down. Jeremiah 2, 10 through 13. And I want you to hear in these verses while you're, while you're getting there. I'm going to speak a second. <clears throat> I want you to hear what God says about um, this exchange. It's a... It's a The man, it's it's the biggest waste. It's the biggest unbelievable exchange that could occur. So Jeremiah two ten through thirteen says, "For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods?" even though they are no gods. Listen to this. But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. For they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves 
broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's two things there. They've forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and decided that they're going to dig out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They're going to die of thirst. They've got the fountain of living water here who says, you know, come here and drink. And yet they're going to reject him and say, I'm going to dig out my own cistern. Thanks. And it's broken. It's not going to hold any water. Piper says this. He says, they traded their mansion in the Alps for a cardboard shack by the garbage dump. Right? Like, Imagine the pinnacle of where you could ever be and then imagine the streets. It's an it's a, it's a idiotic exchange. My people have exchanged the wonder of their glory for worthlessness. Not only did they turn away from the fountain of life and joy, but to cisterns that can hold no water. They're broken There's not going to be any life. There's not going to be any joy. So when we look at the world, the cistern, the money cistern is broken. So that's where you're running to, the money cistern, it's broken. The sex cistern is broken. The family cistern is, even as, you know, precious as it can be, the family system is broken. If your joy and your, you know, your treasure is in your kids and your family, it's broken. Some people think that beauty and brawn are, are going to be the pinnacle of what they can be, but that's, that's a broken system. Success cistern is broken. Political cistern is broken. None of them can hold any water. So the root issue there is that God's people have no taste for him. They prefer other things rather than the fountain of living water. So we're going to spend the rest of our time today unpacking this uh, truth of man's rebellion against God. So, so the, the first thing we want to look at is um, how that really looks in real conversation. And so, you know, how do you really describe sin to someone who's not really familiar with the term sin? So we've got to talk about um, the fall of man. So if, you go, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at a few passages here. You might go ahead and turn to them. Genesis 3, 1 through 8. But sin began a long, long time ago in the Garden of Eden with the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. God, who was holy, uh, created Adam and Eve under his rule in the garden. And like I said before, because God created them, he had the right to tell them what to do, how to live what was good for them, and then what was also bad for them. All was, all was well in the beginning, but then something happened. Something went terribly wrong, and we're going to look at that in Genesis 3. So if somebody has Genesis 3, will you read it aloud for our group? Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Anybody? Thanks, Philip.
Thank you. So we see there the first exchange of God for something else. And that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's an exchange of what God has um, himself for something different. So all was well until the serpent came, twists God's words around and tempts them to eat from the tree. Um, he promises them, promises them both that they'll be like God and that we see um, Eve drawn in by this. And, and, you know, when we're looking at this passage and we're really thinking about it, um, and if I were to ask you, you know, what, what, what is the first sin? You probably would say, well, well Eve took and ate the fruit, right? Now, let's just, just think about this for just a second. Is, is there eating the fruit actual action of them eating the fruit the real sin what's the what's the what's the root sin there distrusting god exchanging what god has for something else so if we look in verse six it says so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food so god told her don't touch it don't eat it satan comes and says you know what you, you, you actually, God wants to keep you from being like him. She, so her heart changes in this moment of God's given me this directive. God's given me this um, to follow. But now I'm, I'm listening to these lies and my heart is changing and saying, you know what? This tree is actually good for food. I'm going to, you know, there's a bending there. Then she says that it's a delight to the eyes, you know, that, that fruit looks really good. I'm, go, I'm, not, I'm not going to trust what God has for me. And then she had a desire to, for her to be wise, to be like God. So she says, I'm going to step out from underneath your kingship and rule, and I'm going to do what I want. That's the, that root there. That's, that's sin. Um, you know, cause we, we can talk about all of these actions, all these outcroppings. Um, they're not, you know, they're wrong. But that's not sin. Sin is the exchange in our hearts. Sin is the reason why we can come here today and worship and, and be, put ourselves under God's kingship and, and, and lordship and then leave and not think about him for two or three days after we walk out of this place. Right? That's sin. We're, we'd rather have the things of the world than put ourselves under God's kingship and lordship. So by disobeying God, Eve rejected God as a ruler. God establishes these things, and so it's either God's way or her way. Um, and she chose her way, believing the serpent. And Adam did the same thing. He was complicit from the beginning and said, I'm, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to do this. So at the moment of the fall, man chose to reject God as his rightful ruler and authority and chose himself. Now, what's the, what's the effect of that? Whenever they decide, I'm going to step out from under God's kingship and lordship, under his rule, what happens? What happens, what happens in verse 8? What they do? They hid. They saw their nakedness and they hid. And they tried to, they tried to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves and hid there's a relationship that's been broken 
And from that moment, it's been broken ever since for all humanity. That's why the, <clears throat> that, breaking, that breaking of the relationship, that's why the Bible tells us that Jesus came to, I'm kind of skipping ahead a couple of weeks, but that's why Jesus came to bring us back to God. <clears throat> because he can't be with us in our condition. So by rebelling against God, they broke <clears throat> that right relationship with God and exchanged God's rule and, and lordship for ruling his own life and is going to now pay a penalty. So we're going to talk now a little bit about, if you flip the page, we're going to go to B, the depravity of man. When we, um, when we talk about depravity of man, we, I just want to kind of clarify a little bit. Um, I'm just going to read to you what this says. It says Some people may think that uh, they're free to do whatever they want. And in a sense, they're right in that, um, you know, they're able to sin. That's not um, the entire issue I'm going to talk about today, but as slaves to sin, they're free to do whatever they want in that capacity. But they don't have to, the ability to want to do what is good. Um, So deep down, um, the, the root issue is with their wants and their desires. Um, and they're going to be doing the very things that are actually going to destroy them in the end. They're not free. They're enslaved to sin. They can only sin. Um, and so by nature, uh, humans are dead. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And so... Um, total depravity and, and the depravity of man um, is summed up in that man is completely bent towards evil. Um, and so something miraculous has to happen for uh, you to do anything other than that. So at the time of, of Adam and Eve's re rebellion, um, all of mankind became rebels against God by nature. When Adam and Eve fell... All of mankind fell with them. And so it, it's, it's evident in, a, a, in several different things that we're going to look at in a couple minutes. Um, you know, the, the, the magnitude of the fall is that every single human is infected and ruined after this first sin. After this first exchange of I'm going to step out from God's rule, I'm going to put myself as king. All the world is now affected. All mankind all of Adam and Eve's offspring inherited that sinful nature. Their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great, all the way down to us. We inherit it at our birth, um, that, that sin nature. Romans 3.23, um, if we look at that, it tells us that all have sinned and do what? Fall short of the glory of God. So there's this mark, this mark of glory and we will never attain it we're falling way short it's like if this is the target we're like over here 
initially, God created us differently. God created us to live in a relationship with him where he cares for his children. He speaks to us like a father and we listen as his children. But in that ruining of that relationship, we didn't listen to God and we listened to our own hearts and ourselves. We rejected God's ways and followed our own. We set ourselves in opposition, declaring our autonomy um, against God the Father. James 2, 10 through 11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. So, um, any exchange, any exchange that we take um, apart from God, if we, if we step out from under God's rule and authority, which is what we do by nature, remember, and, and, and exchange that, um, you know, we're declaring our, ourselves as a part. We're, de- we're declaring ourselves as um, lawbreakers of the whole thing. We're, just, we're not just guilty of one, we're guilty of it all. And God's going to hold us accountable um, for all the things that we've done. And, and when, he, when he sees us in that state, we're guilty. We're, we're not, we are not, both, this is all pre-Christ, uh, we're not in Christ. We're, we are apart from Christ under uh, this guilt. Because we're guilty, we've done it. Uh, we've stepped out from God's, God's rule and authority. And we say, we're going to be our own God. Side note, God, God does tell us um, with our, his first commandment that we're supposed to what? Joe Perkins, what's, what's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me, right? So we exchange that. We exchange that. We exchange God for a hewn-out cistern that's dry, There's two, there's two things that the Bible tells us in, in the, the law. Um, it, it tells us what God's like. It tells us about his holiness. It tells us about uh, his nature. And then it also shows us at the same time that we can't do that. How many of you have looked at, at, at the Bible and said, man, that's just a, at some point in time said, that's just a bunch of rules that I can't keep? How many, how many of you have I've done that before? Right? Yeah. That's the truth. You can't. <laughs> That's the whole point. You can't do it. You can't. That's why we have to have um, a Savior. You can't do it on your own. So Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So we become conscious of sin. We become aware of that knowledge of sin. We're all rebels who've broken our relationship with God. Um, there's a lot of people who share the gospel without going here first. They don't, they don't come to God's rule and authority and then come to our sin. They do uh, things a little bit differently. Um, they might present the basic problem as the fact that we're just out of God's plan. Um, or they might present the problem as the fact that the world's broken. Um, 
but, but the, real, the real truth, the real road to walk on, if we're going to be talking about evangelism, is that um, we have to go at the issue of sin. We have to confront it. Uh, we have to say, this is what it is. This is our stepping out from under God's rule and authority and rejecting him. So why do you, here's a question, why do you think it's important to talk about sin as a personal offense against a holy God? Why do you think it's important to talk about sin as a personal offense against a holy God? We're talking about evangelism. Why do you think it's important to talk about sin as being a personal offense, a personal offense against God? Alright, so John says if they don't know what they're being saved from, they don't need a savior. Right? If you don't if you don't see where you're wrong, if you don't see how you stepped outside of God's holiness, outside of his rule and authority, um, there's no reason for you to need to get back underneath it, right? There's no reason for Christ to have to bring you back to God. We have to, we have to start with um, the fact that there is a king creator and that we've removed ourselves from, out, from underneath that. And that is called sin. Anybody have any other questions or comments about this particular aspect of man's depravity? All right, so let's talk about the implications then. Implications for evangelism. Is man's sinfulness an easy thing for non-Christian friends to grasp? Think about that for a second. Is man's sinfulness an easy thing for our non-Christian friends to grasp? If you're, if you're at dinner with some, some friends of yours who are non-Christians, um, is bringing up sinfulness an easy topic to bring up? Right, yeah. So, so Philip says, and this is this is exactly right. People are not are not don't have a hard time admitting that there's something wrong in the world. They don't they don't have an issue with saying, man, all all the things that I'm seeing on the news, all the things I'm I'm hearing um, about in our nation and in the world. I don't have an issue saying that there's something wrong. But then when you start to flip it to me, that confront that confronting that sinfulness is a very hard thing to do for people who are not Christians. Um, you know, do you, would you say the majority of people who are not Christians would you know have a hard time with that? Right. Exactly. So they 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 don't think they're as bad as this or that. I'm a pretty good person. I screw up every once in a while, but you know I'm 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 good. Right? Is, is, that, is that a kind of general, you'd say it would be a general place for people who are non-Christians? I'd agree that's a good assessment. Okay? Well, most people admit they're not perfect. They usually come from the angle that, um, you know, they're okay. They're, they're, they're not the bad guy. When we, when, we, when we think about good guys and bad guys, we tend to identify with the good guys. Um, we don't want to identify necessarily with the bad guys. 
people tend to think that they're born good, that they're born innocent, um, but um, that, that they're living life just trying to do the right things. But, but the truth is, is that um, we've all stepped out from under God's rule. So this is, you know, this makes it all the harder to, to share the gospel. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I read this week from uh, somebody, somebody in the education field talking about, you know, giving feedback to, to teachers. And it said something to the effect of, you know, talking about giving them feedback. The truth will set you free, but first it's going to make you really mad. Right? So, you know, for someone who's a sinner, who's not under God, you know, has, has not been brought into the family of God, who's sitting there in their sins, um, and we're talking, you, you are trying to communicate the gospel to them, and we're, we've got established that God's the ruler, the king of the universe, and we've stepped outside of that, and we're talking about sinfulness. That initial conversation of confronting their sin is going to hurt them. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna, there's gonna be some friction there, right? Would you say there would be? There's gonna be some friction. People don't like that, tr- that truth piece. You know, when you're when you're talking about sin and talking about um, how you're living, um, per se, you know, that's a that's a that's a hard thing to swallow for some folks. I'd say you know, pretty much everybody. God's got God's got to do a work there. So remember, it's not your job to convert them. God's got, to, God's got to do a miracle in their stone-cold heart to quicken it, to be able to even hear that there's something, there's, a, there's an issue there. So something that you can kind of point to when we're talking about um, those implications, we can look at some different things. So let's look um, at, at these five things. So if you're, if you're taking notes, the first passage we're going to look at is Psalm 51.5. Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And this is David speaking. This is what, who's been described as a man after God's own heart. Although children are very cute and precious children are born corrupt they have an inherent self-centeredness and I'm thinking of my three month old baby girl she's got a self-centeredness it's just there you don't have to teach little Johnny to be selfish he just is mine I don't want to share I have it. Give it to me. No. Right? Did you have to, did you have to teach little Susie, um, did you have to teach her to hit or to snatch things from others? No. Anyone who's ever raised children or been around children understands that children's natural inclination is to serve himself and fight for what he wants. So you can point your friends to look at children. There's just an inherent self-centeredness and self-service. You might be able to, with um, care and grace, 
be able to talk with your friends at this point about their children or talk about your children and their disobedience. Um, you know, whenever you are open, let's put it this way, whenever you're open um, and honest, that, that goes an extra mile with folks. Um, especially if it's not just a, you know, we talked earlier about you can share the gospel in a few minutes with somebody or you can take it over weeks, months, years um, to really live life and share with them and, and really talk about those things. That sharing of your life and, and honesty is a, is a really good way to do that. So number two, we can look at the world. So we, we've already stated that people look at the world around them and they see um, that there's an issue there. There's an issue there. There's so much hate. There's so much injustice. There's so much selfishness. Selfishness. There's so much greed. That's because the world is full of people. Um, people who do those things. People who are naturally sinful. You can talk about current events. Um, talk about headline stories about you know, why the big CEO embezzled all this money and left all of his people flat. Um, how they, why he falsified those documents or financial information. Um, you can talk about why you know, there's been all these murders uh, or, or all of these thefts. You can just point to, to any, any news article, really, and, and, and trace those problems, the issues there, back to sin. Another thing to look at is, is to look at why we have to work. In Genesis, it tells us that after um, sin came into the world, God cursed the ground so that it would be difficult to produce fruit, and then uh, that man's going to have to work that um, for his sustenance, and then after that is death. So sickness, natural disasters, war, famine, all of these different things in the world can be traced back to man's sinfulness. Number three, we can look at your life. So you ask them to, to think about their own life. You, you're hoping that they will see their own rebellion against God. Why do they choose the things uh, they know are wrong? Um, you can ask them if they've ever lied or cheated, um, if they've ever stolen anything. Ask them why they, they chose to do those things. Um, fundamentally, down the deep root is that they were serving themselves for some, in some particular capacity and exchanging God um, for things that are created. We're, like that passage in, in Jeremiah says, Be appalled, O heavens. Talking about all of creation. Be appalled um, that, that, we, that man would exchange the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns. Paul, the Apostle Paul says that I know that I have nothing good in me as in my sinful nature. So when you're making that case with a person and when you're speaking with them about being sinful, uh, make sure that you include yourself in that indictment as well. Share your stories. Um, so number four, we can look at God. So we look at children, look at the world, look at your life, look at God. Okay? 
When asked to look at themselves, people will undoubtedly compare themselves to other people. They're going to say, I'm not as bad as this, or I'm not doing this. Challenge them to compare themselves to God. And then they'll see that they're, um, they're better able to see the, the disconnect there. There's not, there's, there's not a comparison. Um, when talking about God, the, the Bible tells us that all of the nations um, are, basically, you know, are dust on the scales in, com- in, in comparison and then, and then lastly, number five, we can look at the Bible. The Bible's where God's law is found. We can also help our unbelieving friends by having them look at themselves, by holding up God's law to their lives like a mirror. Does God think that this is okay? Um, does God think that they're okay in, in, in staying outside of him? Walk them through the Ten Commandments and ask them to see whether they meet any of his standards. After that, you can talk, talk to him about uh, Matthew when, and talking about the Sermon on the Mount um, to see like the, you know, what commands they think that they're really um, following and, and following perfectly. And so at that point, there should be um, a stirring there um, to really contemplate, you know, what I, my life is not really adding up to what the Bible calls me to. Um, so, from there, that, that's, that's, that's God's work to use what you said and, and, and to take, take um, that comparison um, and, and really quicken their heart to see their deficit, to see um, their lacking and see where they need God. They need, they need to be made right. They need to be brought back to God. And so we're going to get there um, in the next few weeks. So in conclusion, I'm um, going to talk about all the things that we've talked about today. Um, unfortunately, and sadly, there's no good people. There's, there's, no, there's no one that does good. There's, there's no good people on the earth. Um, and that's a difficult message to get across in today's inclusive and tolerant and uh, pluralistic uh, society and culture. It's really hard. Um, People think that they're good. They think that they're okay. So Christianity, similar to other religions, recognizes that there's a grave problem in the world um, and something's gone terribly wrong. Christianity is very clear that there's the, the main issue is between God and man, and God is the king and the ruler. He owns it. He can tell it what to do, and yet man decides to step out and just. You know, try to make decisions himself. And that is a spiritual rebellion. We're stepping outside of what God would have spiritually. We fundamentally want to live our life our own way, not God's way. And so we're at enmity with God. We have a natural desire for other things. All of these broken cisterns that we would rather try to go draw water from that will never suffice and leave the fountain of living water alone. And that's the travesty that, that Jeremiah 2 talks about. Be appalled, O heavens, that they would go after broken cisterns and not the fountain of living water. He says, be shocked. In human history, after that sin, 
Um, there's just a continual rebellion in, in all of man's hearts. It doesn't go away. Um, that, that separation doesn't go away. We are separated from God through that natural sin. So in the coming weeks, we're going to consider the effects of man's sin. We're going to, um, we'll, we'll see that man's problem is not simply that we're just at enmity with God, but there are also consequences for our sin and our rebellion. Um, and that God won't let our rebellion persist indefinitely. There's, a, there's an end to that. Um, and thankfully, um, kind of to preface a little bit, thankfully, um, even though we've done this, God sends um, a substitute for us, Jesus. A remedy um, for the, the illness of sin, that pervasive cancer infection that, that, that infects every aspect of our beings. So, if you would take these tracks and kind of familiarize yourself with them for next week when we look at week three, um, remember that we've, we've looked at two primary verses over the last couple of weeks. We looked at Revelation 4.11 last week, and then this week's verse was Romans 3.10-12. If you would go ahead and look at week three and, and look towards those verses to kind of prepare your hearts for that. Um, does anybody have any other questions or comments over uh, humanity and rebellion? All right, well, let's, let's pray real quick. Father God, we are people who continually go after broken cisterns. We chase after different things that might give us momentary satisfaction, pleasure, temporary happiness, joy, whatever you want to call it. It's temporary and it's broken. It's like water on sand. It's just going to sink through. Forgive us for, for chasing after all of these different things. Help us to see that you are the fountain of living water. That you can satisfy forever. Help us to see our brokenness, to help us see our rebellion. Not just the effects that sin produces to things that we do, but the deep-rooted exchange that we make every day for things of this world instead of you. God, help us by your power and your spirit to walk under your lordship and kingship. Help us to put off Um, as Hebrews tells us, the things that would so easily cause us to stumble. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, give us eyes to see him, to treasure him, love him. We ask these things that you would do in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.